This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. Anthony Joshua set out to prove that his loss in June against Andy Ruiz Jr. was a fluke, and Ruiz wanted to show fans that he's more than just a historic upset. The rematch took place in Saudi Arabia on December 7th, and despite the buildup, the fight itself didn't live up to the first one. Over the course of 12 rounds, Joshua displayed the offensive capabilities of the outside fighter, always sure to maintain distance and clinch up when Ruiz would get in too close. Opting to stay light on the feet, Joshua made sure to constantly circle away and pivot when Ruiz got too close instead of trading with Ruiz. Joshua has always been known for his fantastic one-twos, and he put them to work in this match. Joshua's skill set isn't as diverse as someone like Tyson Fury, and he doesn't have the pure one-punch KO power of Deontay Wilder. However, his jab straights are among the best and have been more than enough for him to keep opponents still long enough for his uppercuts and hooks. Not wanting to risk another L on his record, Joshua kept the fight at literally three feet of distance at all times and picked Ruiz apart from the outside. At the end of the fight, the judges scored the fight unanimously for Joshua, who won back the WBA, IBF, WBO, and IBO heavyweight titles that he lost six months ago. Ruiz had moments of success, especially when he was able to get Joshua to brawl in exchanges. He was also able to land his patented left hook and score with his right hand off the clinches, but they were too far in between any meaningful exchanges. In round 8, Ruiz gave Joshua a bit of a scare when he landed his left and right hooks in the pocket, forcing Joshua to cover up and grab Ruiz around the midsection, getting the referee involved for a break. It's frustrating to watch because Ruiz does have the quicker hands, but not the reach and inside positioning to use them. This brings us to the main point of the episode, the finer points of adjustments. The sport of boxing has a ton of examples of fighters who lost the first time around, but are able to adjust and turn things around in the rematch. The ability to find a way to adjust mid-fight and adapt on the fly is what separates great fighters from good ones. This isn't the first time we've seen boxers adjust strategies after their first match didn't go their way. Such notable examples include Floyd Mayweather Jr. versus Marcos Maidana, Manny Pacquiao versus Eric Morales, Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward, and of course, Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier. Technically, the Mayweather versus Maidana match wasn't a loss for Mayweather but it was close enough that Mayweather had his work cut out for him. The aggressive stalking style of Maidana, mixed in with the different angles of punches, kept Mayweather on edge, and subsequently he took more damage in this fight than any other prior. The rematch was a completely different story, 
in which Mayweather schooled Maidana, nullifying his overhand right and forcing him to throw 300 less punches. Pacquiao took a close decision loss to Morales back in 2005, but less than a year later, he turned up the volume and pace in order to overwhelm Morales and become the first person to beat Morales by TKO. Gotti and Ward were involved in one of the best trilogies of all time, going the distance in all three matches. Ward won the first fight while Gotti out-toughed him the second time around, setting up their all-time classic third fight. I don't want to bore you with the details, but if you haven't seen the Gotti Ward trilogy, please take the time to watch all three matches. I promise you it's worth it. And finally, Ali versus Frazier 2 had all the makings of a legendary match, so much so that it was simply billed as the Super Fight 2. Even though it wasn't as entertaining as their first or third fight, it does show Ali's ability to come up with adjustments in real time including a hybrid punch that combined a hook and an uppercut that came at Frazier from the left and right sides. Frazier often dipped low and made it hard for him to get hit with straight punches, so this adjustment from Ali did a great job of racking up points. Ali also pulled a little bit from Archie Moore and George Foreman by tying up Frazier behind the neck and releasing him to land flurries. Usually, if the rematch is close enough and not too lopsided, it sets up the holy grail of boxing, a trilogy. Out of the aforementioned four fights, three of them resulted in three fights. Trilogies are something that are fantastic for fans when they happen organically, when two fighters are so evenly matched that even a small change in game planning and strategy can result in an entirely different outcome. However, when it's manufactured by shady judging and greedy promoters, It can result in unnecessary damage and shortened careers for one or both fighters, not to mention the damage it does to their legacies. In the case of the rematch between Ruiz versus Joshua, it looked a lot like Duran versus Leonard too. The fight itself isn't similar, but the story leading up to it certainly was. By his own admission, after Ruiz won the belts, he's been partying and eating nonstop with training being on the back burner. He said that he didn't really start preparing for the rematch until September, meaning he just had a few months to shake off his poor diet and get back in shape. At the same time, Joshua suffered an embarrassing loss, and one where he was making his US debut. Some conspiracy enthusiasts might say that it was the Drake curse rearing its ugly head. And you know what? That might be true. Whatever the case, Joshua didn't take his second opportunity for granted and started training with intensity, focusing on speed and footwork for the rematch. He actually came in lighter for this fight, losing roughly about 11 pounds. Ruiz instead looked like he found the pounds that Joshua lost and then got some more, coming in 16 pounds heavier than the first match. It would be one thing if Ruiz was getting out-muscled in the first fight, so he put on weight to be stronger a la Daniel Cormier, but it just seemed like poor dieting and discipline. We often think of rematches in the Hollywood sense of revamping your entire training regimen and going back to your old trainer or hiring new ones. The reality is usually far more dull and less interesting. A fighter and or their coaches go back and study footage of the match, 
taking careful consideration into what worked, what didn't work, if the issue is fixable, and what they need to do in order to win the second time around. It's no different than when you make a mistake at work. You go back and look at what caused you to screw up the first time, take precautions to make sure it doesn't happen again, and then go ahead with the process the second, third, fourth time around. What makes it so much more difficult in the fight game and sports in general is that your opponent is also in the process of fixing and improving their game. Rarely does one person have such a flawless performance that they don't have to change anything in their skill sets. They usually go back and see what things they should improve on or tighten up. Think of it as a math problem where you get the answer wrong the first time, so you go back to solve the problem again only to find out that the variable has changed. If Ruiz was expecting the same Joshua from the first fight, he was wrong and he paid for it with the loss. He didn't get thrashed or beaten up silly, but he did get soundly outpointed and looked like he was a step or two behind. Even though he's called for a third fight, it's going to be hard to argue for since it was a decisive win for Joshua. Having won all his titles back, Joshua will undoubtedly try and see what the next big matchup will be for him, while Ruiz will unfortunately have to work his way back up. Hopefully, this will serve as a wake-up call for any fighter who thinks they can rest on their laurels after a big win. Now, that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show. Find us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.